Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message from our special guest. I'm going to say my first wife is from Texas. That opens up the whole question of well, how many wives do you have? You know, well, Paula is my second Paula. My first wife was named Paula, and then Paula is named Paula. So. First wife passed away of a heart attack. Jim passed away of brain cancer, but God has new beginnings all the time. And so we're here to the... Anyway, my first Paula was from Texas, and, and my son lives in Texas. I thought I heard, for the first time in my life, a British person say, y'all. Was, was that right? Did he say, y'all stand up? I thought, we'll have to check the tape, but, you know, it was, it was like, wow, a y'all from a, a, a British person. That's... Uh, that's a first for me, anyway. Well, uh, you know what I like about preaching from the computer? Um, assuming I can get it to come on. Ah, there it is. Uh, wow, there is no end to the size of a font that you can make on a computer. And I normally have to wear glasses to see this stuff. But wow, on a computer, it's like font 55. And, you know, that may be, a, that may be a, like a key. You put the... You put your age in the font, and then you can read it. <laughs> uh, never mind. Okay. Well, what a beautiful place you have here. I know I have seen it before, and I've seen it on, on pictures and stuff, but this is a wonderful expression of love to God, that there's a place you can come and that you can just feel like it's free to worship and love God, and there are people here. I, I, this is really wonderful. Great, great facility. So thank you for letting us come and be here. Paula had a great time yesterday as she was uh, sharing about marriage. Um, Paula has a master's in counseling. But more importantly than that, she has 10 years of critical work with me as her husband. And so, wow, the master's is nothing. She has a doctorate now in pro, uh, 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 you know, how to handle a husband. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I understand that it's relationship month here. And, and you do that every year, is that right? Or kind of, okay. And um, that could sound like sort of a trendy topic, or it could sound like sort of, well, this is kind of a nice idea. Uh, I, I, I assume there's some, you know, Valentine's month, it's relationship month, I don't know what you're doing there, but it's in February, what a coincidence. And uh, so... You know, uh, but, but relationships are God's thing. And I don't know that we really understand that when God created life, when he created you and, you and me, he had a purpose for that. And the purpose was fellowship with the creator. That's relationship. And so God created us that we might know him, that we might have fellowship with him. And then, of course, Sin came into the world and separated that relationship. But here is the commitment that God has to you and me. He did not allow that sin, that rebellion, that disobedience. He did not allow it to remain. And so he determined that he would restore our relationship. And all of the Old Testament is about God restoring that relationship. And then finally, in Galatians, it says, in the fullness of time, in just the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem man. And he did it so that we could have fellowship, 
relationship with him. So this thing of relationship is critical with us and God. But God, you know, he made us in his image. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, what does that mean, the image of God? You know, I personally believe that we are most like God in our ability to think and create and speak. Those are unique, unique features. And they, they, they make us very much like God. But God also wants us to be like him in that we have fellowship and relationship with each other. I have two sons. I told you one of them was, is in Texas. Woohoo! Anybody? Anyway, okay. And uh, the other one is from Washington State. Okay, couple. Uh, I don't know what it is, but there's a people we, uh, that I work with in Jakarta. It's like a mecca for uh, Washington State Seattle people. And, you know, here's the difference between, well, actually Texas and Seattle are the same. They both think they're like the best place in the world to live. If you talk to a Texan, well, yeah, we got the best place in the world, you know. And Seattle, I mean, you know, yeah. I'm from Kansas. Yeah. Nobody's ever said, it's, hey, woo, we all right, like Kansas people. That means there's only about eight of them left in Kansas now. No. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, the point of all of that is that nothing brings me more joy than when I watch my sons love each other, have fellowship with each other. They may be having fellowship with each other this very week because one of them went to Hawaii and the other one told me he was going to Hawaii, and I'm thinking, maybe they're together. But anyway, when I see my kids love each other and get along and support each other, it makes me so happy. i got to believe that God is the same way. i got to believe that when God sees his people, when God sees people, because he loves all people, when God sees people loving each other, helping each other, getting along with each other, it's just got to do his heart good. And so I, I, I think this thing of relationship is critical. So we're going to define what relationship is, and we're going to talk about a type of relationship that God uh, instituted, that God really finds unique and important, and that's the covenant relationship. But in order to talk about that, I want to talk about relationship in general for just a moment. And relationship I'm going to define as a connection between two people, two or more people, with a purpose. Now, the first part of that you would expect. How do you have relationship unless you have at least two people? So a relationship is a connection between two or more people with a purpose. You have certain relationships in your life that are somewhat, I won't call them surface, but they're not as deep and they're not as connected and they're not as vital to you as other relationships are. But when we talk about a covenant relationship, we're talking about a relationship that is deep and vital and has a purpose. Now, before we get to the covenant relationship, I want to express two other kinds, two words that have, I think, meaning in this area of relationship. And those two words are transactional and transformational. Now, these are not Bible words. These are not theological words. They're words you've heard about. And they really are simple to understand. Transactional means it's a transaction. It is I give you something, you give me something. It is, um, it's just a, you know, a simple way to get something done. Transformational is what it says. It is transforming. In this relationship, there is change that is happening. 
There is a transformation of me and the person or people that I'm in relationship with. I think transformational relationships are critical because we constantly need change and transformation and growth and health in our lives and in our relationships. So a transactional relationship, as I said, is just an exchange of something. I, I have that kind of relationship almost on a daily basis in Jakarta with the taxi driver. <laughs> I get into the taxi, he wants money, I want to go somewhere, it's a pretty good relationship. It's not a deep relationship, it's not a relationship that changes my life. I do it and I get out and I find out that, you know, I went from here to there, but David is still David. And, you know, that's the way. But that's a transactional relationship. And uh, it, 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 it really uh, leaves me basically the same. Uh, it is leaving me unchanged. But the transformational relationship is a change in nature, a change in character. It's something that makes me different than I was from the beginning. It's a deep, meaningful relationship that changes my very core. Transformational relationships change our very nature. I, I knew someone that their definition of marriage was something like this. I didn't write it down, but it was something like this. That being married to this person makes me a better person than I was before. Being married to this person makes me different and better than I was alone. And you could say that about other relationships. It's not just a marriage relationship. When I'm in a relationship with someone and I'm loving them and helping them and living life with them and it's healthy, I become better. I'm different. My life is fuller and more enjoyable. It's, it's because we're made that way. That's the way God created us. When we are involved in people's lives and we love them and help them and have relationship, healthy relationship with them, we're changed and we become more like God, our creator. God created man to be in a transformational relationship with him. Let me say that again in case you missed that. God's relationship with man is a transformational relationship. He intends to walk with you, to talk with you, to love you, and to change you into something better than you were yesterday into something more meaningful than you were yesterday. I want to be changed. I want to be changed into his likeness. And that's what he's destined for me. That's what his purpose is for me. The purpose of his relationship with me is that he will change David from the selfish, sinful person that I, that I am, that I have been, and he will change me into more and more and more into his likeness. The entire Bible is about that. And we're just going to look at a quick verse from, from Romans chapter 5 just to get a picture of that. Romans 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have, been, we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God and not only this but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance 
and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We, before we knew God, were lost in our sin, unjustified. Now, what does that mean? It means that we had no standing with God because we were not justified. We were sinners. We were lost. We were away from God. But this scripture tells me that God has changed that. It's a transformational relationship. God has changed that, and now I am justified, and I can stand in his presence. Where's the guy that does the singing and does all the jumping? Where is he? Anyway. Okay, okay. I'm thinking he needs to come back and look you in the eye again and say, Hello, wake up! <laughs> Trent, when, when God justifies me, I am able, I am changed, and I am able to stand in his presence. Only those who have been away from his presence understand how critical and valuable it is to be able to stand in his presence. And I understand that. I understand that. I have been justified. I have peace with God. You know, when I became a Christian, I wasn't raised in a church home. I didn't have a vocabulary. I didn't know anything about the Bible or the vocabulary you were supposed to have. But one day a guy came into my workplace and he shared the gospel with me. Don't remember if he used, you know, the Roman road to salvation, you know, those steps or maybe, anyway. I don't remember what plan or how he told me about it. I don't know that any of the theological stuff stuck in my head. But what I knew was this. There was an enormous sense of peace in that room, and that I could understand. A peace I had never felt. I cannot, excri- I cannot describe it to this day. I only know that, that I knew there was something loving and peaceful and fulfilling. I felt like I had been gone all my life, and I was somewhere that I should be. God changed me from being an enemy to being at peace, peace with him. I have grace. God changed me. He gave me his grace. God changed me. Before I was a Christian, I I hoped that certain things would go well, but I didn't know if they would. But as a Christian, I know I serve a God who controls all things, who knows the beginning from the end, and who has a plan and a purpose for David's life. And so I know that when there is tribulation, that that tribulation is intended to bring about perseverance. And that perseverance is intended to work on my character. Say amen, Paula. (laughs) She likes it when God works on David's character. He needs a little help. And that character produces hope. And the hope doesn't disappoint. I'm just saying that Romans chapter 1 and verses, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, is a good example of this transformational relationship that God has with us. Now, let's talk about what that means in terms of the covenant relationship. You heard about this term. You know what it's like. You've heard, we're going to just reference it a little bit here. But my definition of a covenant relationship is this. A covenant describes a formal relationship between two parties who agree to set, uh, to set a set of promises so that they can work together toward a common goal. So it has those same three elements that I talked about earlier. It has the element of a promise, it has the element of a commitment, and it has the element of a goal. 
And that's what makes it different from just some casual relationship. Now, you may say, I don't really have a relationship like that. I would beg to differ. I think human beings form these relationships, and we don't always formally do it, where we write down what is the covenant, but they often do it informally. And there are people in your life that you are having life with and relationship with, and we're going to talk about what that means to you in just a little bit. But covenant relationships mean that we have a deep, meaningful, transformational relationship with other human beings, which is what God intended for us. Now, here's the problem we have with understanding covenant relationships. We don't think our word, we don't think our word matters that much. And so, at least in my culture, unless you get it in writing, it doesn't mean much. If you just hear me say it, if I just say the words, okay, I'm committed to that, we take that very lightly. We don't really understand what it means to make a promise, to make a vow, to make a commitment. There's a man who wrote on this, and I've forgotten his name and I didn't write it down, but it's not me, it's this other man. And uh, I'll, I'll get that for you, Pastor Don. And he says, um, the main issue in the study of a biblical covenant is the problem that most modern and Western students, that would be me, Western, most modern and Western students of the Bible can't conceive and imagine of relationships built on little more than promises reliably made and honorably kept. But what he's saying is, in my Western world, when we make a promise, it's not really worth much, most of the time. But promises, I like this term, promises reliably made and honorably kept. Think about it. The promise isn't worth anything unless there is a commitment to honorably keep that promise. Now, I'm hoping that in an Asian context, that's, that's more meaningful to you than it is in my Western context. It says that when you say something and when you make a promise and when you enter into that covenant relationship with someone, it has long-lasting consequences. And now the easiest way that I have to explain that or to demonstrate that is, that's what we do in weddings. We like to go to weddings. Who likes weddings? Most of you are lying because people like weddings. They go to weddings. They see people they know. They eat food that somebody else pays for. It's a great thing, you know. So who doesn't like weddings? So you go to a wedding and there's all this stuff. There's, you know, there's a ceremony of uh, flowers and pictures. And I'm so grateful that both of my sons are married and there's no more paying for stuff like that. But anyway, uh, you know, and there's this ceremony that has all this singing and poetry and whatever else. They put all this stuff in there. And then, you know, it's just this, all this, so much stuff goes into the planning of a wedding. And for my money as a pastor, for my money as a preacher, even the sermon you're, you're giving that morning, yeah, okay, the core and essence and purpose of that wedding is the vow. Amen. We gather people together so that we can have witnesses and they can hear me say, I promise. Amen. I promise to do these things. I promise to love you. 
I promise to honor you. I promise to cherish you. And it doesn't matter if you get sick or not. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. I promise to live life with you. And I promise to do it as long as we live. And the, promise, the problem in Western context is the commitment. It's the second part of that covenant relationship. Easy to make the promise sometimes, harder to be committed to keeping it. I thought about Paula when we were talking about getting married. I showed up in a nice red car. It was a speed of light car. It can't be very... Anyway, that's a car we have. And uh, anyway, it wasn't a nice car. It wasn't all that great. But So I show up, and we date, and we decide to get married. And the thought goes through my mind. I bet she's thinking about this a little more because when she married Jim, she was 17. And, you know, anybody here 17 or under? Okay, I apologize for what I'm going to say. But, you know, sometimes the thinking is a little bit... Well, it's just different. And, um, you know, so she's 18, 17. She's, woohoo, getting married. You know, and you, you got to make these promises. Okay, yeah, I promise, blah, 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 blah. And they get married. And they live life. And things are pretty good. And then Jim gets a brain tumor. And for nine years, Paula takes care of Jim. For nine years, in sickness and in health. And she was committed to that promise, and she kept it until the day that Jim went to be with Jesus. So anyway, like I said, that, but that's, that's the marriage covenant. And so I'm just saying that that's an easy way to understand what we're talking about. It's a promise, it's a vow, it's a commitment to keep that, and it's a goal. When Paula married Jim and Jim married Paula, they were making a life. Their goal was to make a life together, to share life together, to have children, to, to, to do all the things that, they, that, that would, would make up that relationship. But that's just one relationship. There are friendships. There are so many relationships in your life that can make a covenant relationship, and it is, it is basically a promise that is made, honorably made, and faithfully kept, reliably made, and honorably kept. So I've kind of talked about the promise, the commitment, and the goal. And, you know, I think it's easy for us to understand the promise, the vow, and the commitment, but what's the goal? And you may think, well, I don't know if I have any relationships that are like that. But like I said, I think you do. I think you just haven't taken the time to really analyze it and look at it and say, okay, what if I, by my actions, by my words, and by my relationship with people, are there people in my life that are counting on me for something? Are there people in my life that, that are, you know, depending upon me? And I, I think if you think about it, you'll find that there are. There are examples of this covenant relationship in the Bible, throughout the Bible, between God and men. And uh, we don't really have the time to talk about them all today, but we're just going to reference a couple, three of them, so that you'll know. God had a, a covenant relationship with Noah. You remember that one, right? God said, raining, flooding the world, that's over. I will never do that again. And he put the rainbow there, and he said, that's a sign. That's a covenant relationship where God made a promise with Noah and his descendants, and God has kept that. God has been faithful to keep that. God has not flooded the world again. And that was a commitment that God made to Noah, and he didn't ask anything back. And that is very, very important to understand. Sometimes God makes these unilateral commitments, and he says, 
and I'm not asking something from you, I'm just telling you, this is what I intend to do. Does that, does that make it difficult for you sometimes? Because a lot of times, we want what? We want transactional relationships. We want people to do something. If I'm making a commitment to you, I'm expecting something from you. Paula and I do more marriage counseling than we would like. Because people don't come for marriage counseling when they're happy. It's the problem. And almost always at the heart of that problem are people with a transactional attitude. I, I'll do this, but I expect you to do that. Now, there's a place for that in, in certain times, but if you treat your covenant relationship and say, I'm only going to be faithful to it, if you're faithful, that's going to be a problem. But God made a commitment to Noah, and it was unilateral, and he said, I'm not going to flood the world again, and God has kept that. God made a commitment to Abraham. Abraham, he promised Abraham that he would give him land, the promised land. Remember that story? And God gives that to him, and I, I got myself in a little bit of trouble in the first service, and Paul said, be careful. But I'm not listening. She's, 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 she knows me too well. She's, I said, okay, and then I didn't listen. So anyway, but here, I'll try to say it better. God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him land. Him, him and his descendants, he would give them land. Of course, today we have a dispute about that. And the reason people in the Western world have a hard time understanding this conflict in that part of the world, you know what I'm talking about? Is because we don't understand covenant relationships. We think that, well, that word was said a long time ago and so long ago, and it doesn't matter anymore. But God doesn't look at covenant relationships that way. They are without end. They are permanent. God is still keeping his covenant relationship with us that he made to Noah. God keeps his covenant relationship that he made with Abraham. I'll just move on and say that there's another one, Israel. And God made a covenant relationship with Israel, and he said, uh, you know, that I will deliver you from Egypt, and I will, um, you know, give you these laws, and we will be in this permanent relationship. That covenant relationship has not ended. It's still in intact between God and Israel. God has made a covenant relationship with David. He said, I, I promise that there will always be a king in Israel from the house of David. And of course, we see that in the person of Jesus. Jesus is from the house, uh, from the tribe of Judah, and has that covenant relationship. And of course, Jesus himself initiated a covenant relationship with him, with us, the day before he was betrayed, or the day before he uh, went to, be, uh, to the cross. Uh, Luke chapter two, uh, 22 is verses you've read a lot before, usually during communion time. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says that when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I find this to be a phenomenal statement, and we could go on and talk about it, but I won't have time, but the point is, is God became man. God made a promise. He promised he would redeem man. He promised he would save us. He promised that he would pardon us. 
And that's something we couldn't do with the blood of bulls and goats and all of those other things. But Jesus came into this world. God became man to fulfill that covenant promise, to fulfill that promise that I will redeem you. I will set you free. So the, most, the greatest covenant we have is that that Jesus has made with us, that by his blood he will redeem us bring forgiveness and salvation into our lives. So those are examples of Old Testament covenants that are between God and man. But there are also examples of um, covenants between men and men, or men and women, or people. People make these kind of relationship covenants with each other. Examples of that are, and again, I won't take time to enumerate them, but you see them all the time in the Old Testament where there's land that was being sold, and there's a covenant Mayor, this is the land, this is the commitment, this is the promise. There is a covenant about establishing peace between certain countries and people. There's the establishment of uh, relationships in war. So all of these things. But the covenant that I want us to look at and focus on for just a moment this morning is the covenant between Jonathan and David, a friendship. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about in this context where we are today. Examples of that is, like I said, the relationship between Jonathan and David. Now, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says that it came about that when he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, that, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and David loved him as himself. I don't understand what the past had been. I don't really know the background of why that would be, but there was a moment when the soul of David and Jonathan were knit together. And Saul took him, that's David, that day, and did not let him return to his father's house. This is right after David had killed Goliath. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And that's really the essence of this covenant thing. When you love someone, when you care about someone, you make that commitment to them. And that's what Jonathan did to David. He made a commitment to him. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David gave him his armor, and including his sword and his bow and his belt. So this is the seriousness with which Jonathan is making this promise. He gives it, he gives these things, his bow, his weapon, his his shield, his armor. Those are critical elements for a warrior. And Jonathan gives them to David, and he says, we're going to be in this relationship. Now, Fast forward some amount of time. There's been a lot of war. David has gone out. He's had a lot of battles. He's won. There's some jealousy creeping in between Jonathan's father, King Saul, and David. And David's afraid that Saul wants to kill him. And Jonathan thinks, no, he he doesn't like you, but he doesn't want to kill you. And David says, find out. And so Jonathan goes and he has a dinner with his father and he learns that indeed Saul wants to take the life of David. And so uh, Jonathan goes back to David and meets him out kind of in the countryside a little bit. And he says to him in 1 Samuel chapter 20, it says, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord require it in the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Jonathan said to David, go in safety, and as much as we have sworn to each other, 
in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed, uh, and Jonathan went to the city. So here is the point. David and Jonathan make this covenant with each other. And once again, as I said earlier, the covenant doesn't end because it got inconvenient. The covenant doesn't end because, hey, it's my father and I can't do that. Jonathan committed to David a lifetime of commitment. In fact, more than a lifetime. He said, our descendants, to our descendants, we will have this relationship. That's a long time. That means that when Jonathan was dead and not around, and that's what happened, Jonathan was killed in battle. And when he was no longer around, and things were good for David, and he had the kingdom, Saul was gone, he was king, there was nothing for, jo for David to be gained by keeping this covenant. But remember, covenant relationships are not transactional. They're transformational. David was changed in that relationship with Jonathan. And even though Jonathan wasn't there and David gained nothing from keeping the covenant, he kept the covenant. And he said, hey, find me someone from uh, Jonathan's house. And they found one of Jonathan's sons, a young man named Mephibosheth, that was crippled in his feet, that was an insignificant person in that society. And David the king brought him in, restored to him the, the land that belonged to his father Jonathan and kept that covenant relationship with Mephibosheth. Well, I hope you're getting a picture of what a covenant relationship is like. It's a serious matter and it helps us. It changes us. It helps us to grow. I would like to inform you that it is four minutes until noon. It must be important because there's a big clock back there telling me that. <laughs> and so it's time for me to tell you what I really told you. <laughs> That's how you end this thing. And that is this. This is something I felt God kind of just put in my heart this morning, and that is this. I think you should be honest and committed to all of your relationships. But I think there are certain relationships that are covenant relationships that God wants you to guard with all of your heart. All of your heart. These relationships that we've made promises and commitments to. And if you haven't made it formally, if it's not like it's been written down and signed somewhere, think about it. There are people in your life that are depending upon you. There are people in your life that have been friends with you. There are people in your life that have walked life with you. And as a person in their 60s, some of you are saying, that's not that old. Thank you. But I'm telling you, there are relationships and friendships that I've had in the past that I want and I haven't invested enough in. And I can't get those back. They're gone. They're past. They're in the past. I'm wanting you today, and we're going to pray about this in just a moment, I'm wanting you to ask God to help you to identify with you what are these covenant relationships in your life? 
Who are these people that you're walking with? You have them. You have them because God has designed you to have them. You are walking with people in your life and their relationship with you and yours with them are intended to make your lives better. And God wants you to identify them. God wants you to recommit to them. And God, I believe, wants you to identify what it is that's the goal of that relationship. What are we achieving together? And I think he wants you to be committed to that. So would you just bow your head and pray with me for a moment this morning? Father God, I ask that you would help us this morning. I believe there are some people here who know exactly the relationship I'm talking about. But there may be others who have, they're struggling with really identifying, maybe outside of their marriage, who are these friendships and relationships?